Almighty God, you are our good and great shepherd. Lead us, I pray. Restore us. Provide for us. Protect us. Come and dwell in the midst of your people this morning. For we live in dangerous days. And our hearts are so apt to wander off. We want to go everywhere that we think will provide relief and comfort and security and protection. And we know that it is only in your presence that these things are and that they are abiding. We ask this morning, in the name of Jesus, who is our good shepherd, that you will open our eyes, that you will feed us and nourish us this morning, that we may indeed drink by these cool and refreshing waters of your word. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. We are a blessed congregation because by the power of the Holy Spirit, we believe and prioritize the preaching of God's word. We believe that it is the lifeblood of our congregation. We cherish the preaching of God's word. We're committed to the authority of scripture. And we believe also in partnership with that, we believe in the providence of God. That God orders and orchestrates our lives in particular and specific ways. And so with the, with the, uh, with the strong hand holding on to the authority of the scriptures and the preaching of God's word and how the Lord uses that in the, in the body of a believers and then this, this other hand uh, strongly holding to the providence of God as he's ordering and orchestrating our lives. We bring those together and we believe that the word that the Lord has for us week in and week out is the word that the Lord wants for us as a congregation to linger on and to chew on and to use throughout our week. This is where we are as a congregation in God's providence. And it is a good thing. It is a good thing. We know that many of us have been praying for wisdom and for the resources and for the ability to plant a church out of our congregation um, simply because we've outgrown this facility and, um, and we want to be able to plant other churches elsewhere, even in the city. And so we're praying, Lord, would you give us resources? Would you give us wisdom? So it's not by accident then this morning that in God's providence that he brings us to one of the more, more foundational, important aspects of a church plant. What, what is it that makes a, a church in its being um, exist uh, well, exist faithfully? Well, it is faithful shepherds. And so God in his grace this morning, we can even see that the Lord is opening his hand and he's showing us as we are going to be working through these verses over uh, several weeks. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5 of chapter 5 of 1 Peter, seeing what it means to, for shepherds to, to do the work that God's called them to do. And for us as a congregation to, to uh, follow after these shepherds that the Lord has given to us, ultimately following our final shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, our good shepherd. The Lord then is bringing us here that we may learn these things, that we may grow in a better understanding of this. So that, I believe, as we pursue and continue to pray for the Lord to give us wisdom and resources for a church plant, that we will be equipped by his word. Now, this is important for us to understand in the context of 1 Peter. We know, as we've been looking over the last several months, actually, at 1 Peter, that this is a group of, of believers, of saints, that are exiled, scattered because of their faith. And this letter has, as one of its primary means, for these, for these saints that are scattered, that are suffering because of their faith, to be encouraged and established to persevere, that they might endure in this world where they are being pressed because of their faith. Peter is wanting to encourage them to endure and to persevere. 
He loves these people. We know that because of verse 12 of chapter 4. You may see that right there without even having to turn. You may see chapter 4, verse 12, where it said, Beloved, do not, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Do you see that? He's referring to them with that affection. That's the beginning of the second section in the book of 1 Peter, where Peter now is closing out this book, the end of verse, uh, chapter 4, this is in verse 12, all the way through the end of chapter 5. Peter's saying, now let me wrap up and give you some of the more important things that you need to know in order for you to endure, because Peter's getting ready to go off the scene, and this congregation's going to need to move forward. He tells them in verses 12 through 19 of chapter 4 that they need to know their times and that their times are times of fiery trials. He mentions that in verses 12 through 19. You can trace this as we work through. The second thing that he wants them, the second theme that he wants them to understand is that they not only need to know, need to know their times, chapter 4 verses 12 through 19, but they also need to know their flock. This is chapter 5 verses 1 through 5. This is where we will be this morning. He's saying that they not only need to know their times, but they also need to know their flock. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And then finally, we'll notice here several weeks from now, in verses 6 through the end of the book of 1 Peter, they need to know their enemy. They need to know their enemy, who is, who is like a roaring lion, right, who prowls around. And so they need to know their times, chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, know their flock, verses 1 through 5 of chapter 5, and know their enemy, verses 6 through 11. Notice there at the end of verse 11, it says, Amen. And then he closes with naming a few of the names of the people there that he knows from the saints that Peter is talking to there. So we're going to be turning and looking at the second section, know the flock. And Peter is wanting to encourage these shepherds to be faithful. Why? Because the circumstances that these people have found themselves in has bewildered them. Are they following Christ rightly? Are they pursuing the things that they need to pursue because things are hard? This can't be right. Everything's got to be wrong because life is hard and difficult. Faithfulness is causing things to go wrong, not right. And so what's going on here? Peter is saying the shepherds need to be leading these people, especially during this time where things are difficult. They need to know their sheep, and they need to shepherd these saints well and faithfully. And so in verses 1 through 5, he asks, uh, he asks and, and, and answers five questions. All right? So here are the five questions that, that we're going to be looking at over several weeks. We're not going to get all of these this morning. But for the children, I don't want you to write the entire question out. I like for you to keep an outline for the children to have so that they can uh, maybe tell their parents when they get to lunch today. So children, let me give you the five points, and then I will, I will put the questions with it, parents, so that you can see the question along with the, uh, the short point that I want the children to have. All right, children, here are the five points for the next several weeks. All right, here we go. First, number one, the call. The call. This is verse one. Point number two, the work. The work. This is the work of the shepherd. And this is verse two, the beginning of verse two. Number three, children, the way. This is how these shepherds are to shepherd, right? And this is in verses two and three. The end of verse two in the beginning in all of verse three. So we have number one, the call, number two, the work, number three, the way, and then number four, the reward, the reward. That's number four, and this is verse four. And then number five is the response, the response, and that's verse five. 
All right? The call, the work, the way, the reward, and the response. We're only going to be doing the first two of those points this morning. We're only going to be looking at the first two of these points this morning, and it is the call and the work. Along with the call, point number one, we're asking the question, who is exhorting the elders? The call, we're asking, who is exhorting these elders? This is in verse 1. And then the question that we have in point number 2, which is concerning the work, is what are the elders to do? What are the elders to do? Those are the two questions we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you would, let's turn to our text and notice first, who is exhorting these elders? This is referencing the call that they are being given. We recognize that the call that is being brought forward in our text this morning is given by none other than Peter, who is the apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter is directly addressing them. And he does this very rarely in this letter, or even in the next letter in 2 Peter. And he says very, he says very personally and urgently, notice what he says, So I exhort the elders. Peter is referencing himself, and he's saying this strong word. He's saying, I exhort these elders among you as a fellow elder. And he's, he's calling on them to, to be urgent and to understand that he, with all the authority that he has as an apostle, is calling them to do something very serious. Why? Because these people are bewildered. They're struggling. They're dealing with a lot of difficulties for their faith. And Peter is saying, if you are not there, if you're not remaining at your post, these brothers and sisters, these boys and girls, they will abandon theirs. They will walk away from the faith. This is too hard for them to do alone. They need shepherds. They need those who are there with them. So here, Peter is exhorting them. He only does this one other time in the book of 1 Peter. And it's back in chapter 2, verse 11. Back in chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Beloved, there again, there's that term of endearment, of affection. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Do you hear the urgency of Peter there? He's saying, I urge you fervently. I need you to understand, take, 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 take effect, listen, and learn. Know what's being had here. I want to warn you clearly and substantially. Here in our passage in chapter 5, verse 1, he comes and says, I exhort you. I exhort you as the elders that are shepherding this, this congregation, these saints that are struggling in this way. There in chapter 2 and here, Peter is calling on his own authority, and he's saying that he urges them, he declares them, he exhorts them. Why? Because Peter knows that they, they, can, easily, they can easily dismiss him. Now, why would they dismiss Peter? He's the, he's the apostle. He's, he's the one that, 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 we, that we hear about in the Gospels. How can they be dismissing Peter? Well, it's because, and this is very important, because Peter is not there. Aren't we apt, aren't we so often apt to dismiss even brothers and sisters that are in our lives that are trying to point us to Christ? And, and we're so apt to dismiss them for this reason. You don't understand. You're not going through exactly what I'm going through. And so therefore you can't understand what I'm going through. And you can't speak into my life unless you are doing exactly and standing in the exact same shoes that I'm standing in. Unless you are going through exactly what I'm going through, then, then there's nothing you can say to me. Peter here is saying, yes, I'm not with you. I'm not there. But he's saying, I can indeed relate to you. Peter is stating that though the saints that, are, that, are, that they're having to deal with, it says here in verse 1, so I exhort the elders among you, 
He's, he's exhorting those elders that are among those people that are, that are struggling. He says, I'm exhorting you. He's saying, though I am not there with you, you are. And I want you to understand that I'm exhorting you on the basis of some areas that I can relate to you. And notice why he's saying he can speak to them. He doesn't go to his apostleship. He doesn't actually say, I'm an apostle and therefore listen to me. Instead, he goes through and he lists three different ways that he is partnering or sharing or relating to them. Look here in verse 1. He says them very clearly. First way that he says he can relate to them is as a, as a fellow elder. Do you see that there? He says, I exhort the elders among you <clears throat> as a fellow elder. Peter's authority first rests on the fact that he too is an elder. He says here a fellow elder. It's the only time this word is used in the New Testament. It's a common title for an office of a particular congregation throughout the scriptures, throughout the New Testament. We find that the elders were those who were leading in the congregation. This office was carried over from the Jews who had elders stationed in their synagogues. And so the Christians then brought over elders from that particular office. And Peter is simply using this term not to say, I'm an old man and you guys have old men among you too. He's not, he's not referencing necessarily their age but instead their calling or their status in, as leaders. We need to establish this because this really isn't established here. I want to take a minute to simply help us understand this. This, this, this title of elder, <coughs> excuse me, this title of elder is not speaking of simply someone in age, but instead an office that was held within the congregations. Many of you are familiar with 1 Peter chapter 3. That doesn't speak of just all of those that are old in the church, but instead it speaks specifically of a particular office and qualifications for that office. And so this is qualifications for elders, those who hold an office in a local congregation. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 7 says it this way. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, now note this, this title overseer also is translated as synonymous with the title pastor, synonymous with the title elder, synonymous with the title shepherd. All of those are being used in the New Testament to mean this one office. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer, here's the qualifications, must be above reproach. In what way? The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil." We see here specific qualifications, character qualifications. There's only one aspect here of a, of, of, of a particular skill, and that is apt or able to teach. All the other qualifications are issues of character. And so here when Peter is saying, I'm an elder, a fellow elder along with you, he's saying, I fulfill this office as well. And we find that <clears throat> this installation of elders was something that was very common, in fact a common pattern, throughout the early church. As early as the book of Acts, which is when everything is getting started, we find in the book of Acts, as early as chapter 14, 
what's happening is the establishing and stabilizing of new congregations are taking place. There's a lot of things that are, that are just starting out, so there's a lot of uh, gaps and missing pieces in way of understanding what's happening there in the churches. But it's very clear that everywhere that churches were being brought forward, elders were also being brought forward for the well-being of the congregation. So we see in chapter 14 of Acts, verse 21, we see here how Paul and Barnabas are establishing churches. Let me read for you Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 32, or 23, 21 through verse 23. When they, that is speaking of Paul and Barnabas, had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. Now, so they were preaching, disciples were being made, and then they were going to different churches and strengthening the souls of those disciples. Now, he was, it goes on and it says, they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, and it, says, it goes on and says, encouraging them to continue in the faith. You need to continue in your faith. Now, at this point, think of Paul and Barnabas today um, and how they would be strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them in their faith. It goes on in our passage and it says this is how they, he, they were strengthening them in their faith. And this is what is so vital for us to understand. Saying, this is how they were strengthening them in their faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. In other words, this is not an easy road. This is going to be hard. There's going to be fiery trials. There's going to be different difficult times. And he's, he's making it very plain to them. This is what we're to do today, actually. When we, when we go and visit missionaries and pastors and other places, we're to encourage them in the faith. We're to strengthen their faith and explain to them that the difficulties and the trials should not be strange to them. But it says that when, when he did this, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God, it goes on and it says in verse 23 of Acts 14, because of these tribulations, because of these difficulties, because of these trials that are in their life, it says, And when they had appointed elders from, for them, in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In other words, in these churches, one of the first things that needed to happen when these believers were brand new and they were getting ready to go into the world and struggle because of their faith, they needed elders and shepherds to come alongside of them, to be appointed so that they could shepherd these people rightly and faithfully. This verse in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, where it speaks of appointing elders in every church, is exactly the verse that is, that is, that is used when our confession speaks of appointing elders and deacons to, a, to our congregation. Our confession, the London Confession of Faith, the second London Confession of Faith, chapter 26 on the church, paragraph 9 says this, the way appointed by Christ for the calling of any person fitted and gifted by the Holy Spirit unto the office of bishop or elder in a church is that he be chosen thereunto by the common suffrage. That's not a word we use very often, but it's basically by vote. Common suffrage of the church itself and solemnly set apart by fasting and prayer. Do you hear that's exactly what was just mentioned in, in Acts chapter 14, verse 23? With the imposition of hands of the eldership, that's the laying on of hands uh, of the church, if there be any before constituted therein. In other words, as, as other churches are able to do that. And of a deacon, so not only the, uh, the elder, but also it says here, and of a deacon, that he be chosen by the like suffrage and set apart by prayer and the like imposition of hands. In other words, he should also be what we would call ordained. The elders and the deacons brought forward and brought forward in way of common suffrage, and then the laying on of hands, bringing forward in way of ordination. Now, 
You may remember that in, uh, in, in, uh, in the book of Titus, this is exactly why Paul left Titus in Crete. Titus was left there in Crete for this specific reason. In Titus chapter 1, verse 5, it says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remains in order. What is that? Appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so one of the primary tasks for a church to be a church in, well, in, in a well-being, a faithful church, especially when the congregation needs to be growing in a time of tribulation and difficulty, is that shepherds or elders are in place. So Peter here then is reminding these men, I know what it means to be an elder. I know that it isn't this cakewalk. It's not this easy job. It, it, he, what he's saying is, I've, I've been a fellow elder with you. I've walked with those who've walked through tribulation. I know what it's like to be an elder. Now, why is he saying that? He's saying that because of the second reason he's saying he can relate to them. And it is because he goes on and says in our verse, verse 1 here of chapter 5, that he's also a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Do you see that there in verse 5? Or or verse 1 of chapter 5? Verse 1 of chapter 5, it says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and, second, a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter here is saying that he also has witnessed the sufferings of Christ. Now, does this, this mean just that Peter was with Jesus when Jesus walked on earth? Yes, it definitely means that, but it also means more than that. This is significant because these saints, these saints that these elders were having to deal with in the time of 1 Peter, they were suffering. So as Peter addresses these elders, he reminds them that he knows not only what it means to lead as an elder, as a fellow elder, but he also knows what it means to lead those who are suffering because of Christ's sake. Peter knows exactly what that's like. Peter is exhorting these elders because they are, not, they are not shepherding from a distance. According to him, he's saying they're shepherding among them. That's what it says here in our passage. I exhort the elders among you. He says, you are the ones that have the boots on the ground. You elders are the ones that are, that are looking these people eye to, eye to eye. You're the ones that are dealing with the families that are being broken up because of Christ. One spouse becomes a believer, the other refuses to. He says, you're the ones that are having to hold things together and bring unity and, and peace in very, very difficult circumstances. Encouraging these brothers and sisters to be faithful, even when it's hard. These saints are seeing the hardships and the sorrows, and they're looking to Peter and they're saying, there's no way he can tell us what to do because he has no idea how hard and difficult it is over here where we are trying to be faithful. We've been run out of our homes We don't even have anywhere to live, it says. They're exiles. And so he's calling them to faithfulness. And he's saying, no, I not only know what it means to be an elder, I also know what it means to witness the sufferings of Christ. He's calling these elders to keep encouraging these saints that that they should endure. He's calling them to endure and to keep calling these, these saints to endure even if the governmental authorities punish them by maybe fining them or even arresting them because of their stand of faithfulness. I'm getting that from 1 Peter chapter 2. He's calling them to be faithful when the boss that they have, their master, is treating them unjustly and ridiculing them. He's saying to these elders, you tell those saints to be faithful even when they're being treated unjustly. I'm getting that from 1 Peter chapter 2. And when the unbelieving spouse is sinning against them and treating them with cruelty or even threatening to leave or does leave, he's saying to these elders they need to encourage these saints to endure and to be faithful and to continue to look to the Lord and find strength. 
Peter has called these elders to encourage these suffering saints to stay faithful no matter what the cost may be. And so Peter then is saying, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not standing from a distance encouraging you to do something that I, have nothing, that I know nothing about. No, he's saying, I know what it means to witness the sufferings of Christ. I've seen our Savior himself walk that road to the cross and take it upon himself. And this is the path that all of us as followers of Christ are to take. Encourage them with that. Because I've, seen the, I've witnessed the sufferings of Christ. He's encouraging these elders that are with these saints to continue to look to Christ as they suffer. Being faithful today is just as hard. I've mentioned this before many times. So many times when we think of suffering and hardship, we think of Afghanistan. And unless we're there, then we really don't know what suffering is. No doubt there's difficulty and struggles in those churches there. And then others say, well, suffering and struggling means that my my roof has been leaking for the last couple of weeks. Well, that's the other end of the spectrum, isn't it? It's like, it's like there's one end that everything is a suffering, and then the other end is, is nothing can be suffering. No, all of us, as we choose to follow after Christ, have to make decisions. And many times those decisions for faithfulness is difficult and hard. And too often these hard decisions become overwhelming for us. And when they do, we as God's shepherds are called to encourage you toward faithfulness. You're not called to walk in this path by yourself. This faithfulness, when it's hard, we are seeking to love you well. Many times, we, as the elders here at Sovereign Grace, have sat with you. And we have communicated to you, as you have shared with us, the hardships and the difficulties that you're going through. The ways that you're trying to be faithful with a difficult child or a difficult loved one. Whether that be a parent or even a spouse or an extended family member, a co-worker, a boss. Maybe as you're trying to be faithful at work or in other arenas of your life and there's constant criticism in your life or difficulty and struggle because there's so many hardships in your life and you, and you cry out and say, Shane, is there any way, or you ask one of the other elders, is there any way that we can make this easier? I want to leave. I want to abandon my post. I want to go somewhere else and do something else. And we call you to remain faithful, to stay where you are, and to know that this hardship doesn't mean that God's far from you, but indeed, it may be that God is very close to you at this time. Be faithful, for your Savior is walking that path with you. And as you're walking with Him, you are following after, as it says in our passage in 1 Peter here, you're following after the example that He set for us, that we may follow after Him. So follow after your suffering Savior by faith, is what we say. And some of you shake your head. Say, I can't do that. At that point, we say, well then, get out of here, leave. No. Sheep bite, and they kick, and they, and they often run off. And you know who they do that with? The ones that are closest to them. And so we as shepherds are called to continue to love the sheep, because our Savior has loved us. Continue to point you to Christ, encourage you to be faithful. To what extent are we to suffer for the Lord? To what extent are we to follow after Christ? What will it cost us? What I want to remind you that this word here for a witness of the sufferings of Christ, that word for witness is an interesting word that shows up a lot of times in the book of Acts, but it shows up here. And that Greek word is martuus. Martuus. Did you hear it? It's the word where we get the word martyr. Peter was indeed one who witnessed who was martyred for the sake of Christ. 
During his earthly ministry, you remember Jesus denied Christ three times. And the Lord, after his resurrection, reinstalls Peter into ministry. You remember that? John chapter 21. And he comes to Peter and he says, do you love me? Peter says, I love you, Lord. And Jesus says, do you, do you love me? He says, I love you, Lord. And Jesus asks him again. And it's, it's irritating because he already said it. Does the Lord believe me or not? I think at that point, this is Shane's interpretation, I think Peter was wondering, do I believe it or not? Because he had just denied the Lord. He's not, quite, he's not so confident of his own strength. He said, Lord, I love you. And what does the Lord tell him? It's very, it's very much connected to what we're talking about today, shepherding. He tells Peter, be a shepherd, doesn't he? He says, feed my sheep. That's why Peter is saying, I know exactly what it means to be a fellow elder. I know exactly what it means to be a witness of the sufferings of Christ. When Jesus said, feed my sheep in John chapter 21, verse 17, Jesus continues and says, truly, truly, I say to you, he's speaking to Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, he's talking about Peter's later life, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Our Bible continues and says in verse 19, This he, Jesus, said to show what kind of death that Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus says to Peter, You need to follow me. And that'll cost. That'll be hard. You'll be a martyr. And it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Losing everything. Abandoned, stranded, ridiculed, cast out. People that love you the most no longer love you anymore. No longer want to be around you anymore. This is why the third, the third characteristic is mentioned here in verse 1. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. That's the first characteristic. Secondly, as a witness. This is how he can relate to them. He's a fellow elder. Second, he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ. But even more, he goes on and he says, as well as, this is the third characteristic, as well as a partaker in the glory that is, to, that is going to be revealed. Peter's saying, I'm calling you to a life that's going to cost a lot. And if you keep your eye on the things that you're losing, if you continue to keep your eye on the things that you're losing, if, you, if you're constantly worried about the next shoe that's going to drop and the next thing that's going to fall out from under you, if you're constantly worried about that, you're never going to make it. So many of you here this morning know exactly what I mean. The only way we will be motivated to continue without our hearts groaning, the only way we will continue and persevere and endure in this world is by being convinced that we share in, or as it says here, partake in the glory that is going to be revealed. Our eyes are set on Jesus and on his return, on him coming back. Only then will we, will we be able to endure. We will not, brothers and sisters, persevere without this living hope, this sure aim that Christ will return and reward us with himself. It is this hope, it is this glory of him coming one day and revealing himself to us. So when Peter starts 
This book at the beginning in chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, he says, in this you rejoice. Well, why in the world are they able to rejoice? They're actually getting, getting hammered. He says, you're going to be able to rejoice. This is why. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, they're supposed to rejoice in the midst of this grieving of various trials. And the reason they're rejoicing is because their faith is being tested. And their faith is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. And when it is tested, it will be found. Listen, listen, this is the result. This is the thing that we keep our eye on when we're going through various trials that are causing us to grieve. We keep our eye on this. The result will be in praise and glory and honor when? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him now, you love him. You live your life loving him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice. How do you rejoice? With joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory. This is the partaking of the glory that is going to be revealed. Some of you, some of you uh, have a, a mere faith. Meaning that you can articulate the gospel well. You've even had an experience at some point in your life where you have been able to say, I trust in Christ. He is my Savior. So there's a personal testimony that's connected to that. But what I mean by mere faith is that you are depending on that mere assent, that intellectual acknowledgement and that event in one place and time in your life. Your heart has long has been long stirred for the things of the Lord. You are living your life for the glory of this world and the things in it. You're pursuing those things, and you know who you are. You know what your heart is. And, you, and, you're, and you're banking on the fact that your mere ascent at one point in time in your life is going to make it so that everything is okay. You are not rejoicing and having joy in an inexpressible feeling of glory in Christ, pursuing the things of the Lord. You're pursuing the world and everything in it. Your hearts and aims are all rooted in that. And you're hoping that this mere faith, this ascent, this simple ascent, is going to get you through. These various trials turn to, in the book of 1 Peter, from chapter 1 to various trials to chapter 4, it says they are fiery trials. These aren't for our harm. They're not to destroy us. These fiery trials, these various trials turn to fiery trials because we are constantly trying to grab more of this world to live for it. And the Lord says, none of that will save you. None of that will cause your heart to rejoice. And so in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, where you read it just a minute ago, Beloved, do not be surprised at what? At the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, there it is again, insofar as you do what? As you share Christ's sufferings, that you may, listen, if you're looking at it there, 1 Peter 4, verse 13, that you may also rejoice and be glad when this is what your heart is rooted in. This is what your heart is longing for. This is what your heart is after. Rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. 
Is this glory to be revealed your living hope? I don't think any of us can say it is 100% there. But I pray that by the power of the Spirit, you're saying, I want more of that living hope. Be careful. Those prayers, those prayers will cause a providence that will likely be something that you do not want. My prayer often, most every morning, is satisfy me, O Lord, with your steadfast love. And then somehow, some way, the Lord, for some reason, thinks it's important to show me all day long all the other things my heart tries to be satisfied in so that he can show me that he is the only one worth being satisfied in. If your hope is not in the glory that will be revealed, in the Savior that is promised, in his promises that he gives to us, this eternal reward that is him, then I call you to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in what he did on the cross on your behalf. If your heart is constantly grieving because of the things that you may lose in this earth, if you're constantly looking for something else, know this, that anything other than this glory that will be revealed, everything else you will lose. You may lose it sporadically through your life, but there will be a day when finally you'll have to cross over the river. You'll have to go into this thing called death. What is your hope resting in? And this must be what we as elders are constantly pointing you to. You see, this is what the shepherds are called to do. This is what we as elders are called to, call, to encourage you in and to even rebuke your hearts when you're trying to latch on to something else. This is what we're called to do. And sometimes you'll hate us for it. Because the things that you're wanting instead of Christ are usually good things. But they're not the things that the Lord wants you to want. They're just the gifts that the Lord gives to us. The second question I want to ask this morning, point number two for the kids, this is the work that the Lord has called us to. Point number two, the question is this, what are the elders to do? What are the elders to do? And the word is the shepherd. This was a hard text for me to preach through because I've, I've lived in it so long. One of the commitments that the Lord gave me early on um, when we started Sovereign Grace was to abandon all of the other ways that I saw shepherding and to try to pursue a faithful understanding of shepherding from the history of the church and from the scriptures. So we can go in a lot of directions, but I chose to go to the direction of simply reading a lot of scripture to us because I know the scripture is what accomplishes much in our lives by the power of the Spirit. This term, shepherd, that's translated in our translation as shepherd, is translated in other translations as feed or tend or care for. I thought the word tend was like a southern word, but anyway, it was in a translation. I thought it was a pretty good, pretty good word. Tend or care for. And this is one of the most endearing of the metaphors in Scripture, isn't it? This metaphor to a shepherd. How many times have we in our own hearts ran to this metaphor in our time of need? that the Lord is our shepherd. We need this metaphor. We need to be reminded of this metaphor regularly, especially when our world around us is just blowing up everywhere. Difficulties and struggles and hardships and, 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 and just incredible angst 
and difficulty. And we look then to John chapter 10, the one who calls himself the good shepherd, who speaks and we'll hear his voice. Of course, we can't, we can't avoid hearing in our head. Maybe many of you know this psalm because of funerals you've been at. And many of us just know it because we've read it so many times. I pray that, that this psalm has nurtured your heart over and over again. I pray that it does at this time. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. Many of you know from when I preach this, that means goodness and mercy will track you down. It will, it will chase after you. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right there. Right there is that, that glory that is going to be revealed, isn't it? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's hard then to imagine, don't, wouldn't you say, a shepherd who's not present. We have a lot of them today. We have a lot of men who call themselves shepherds who are not present. They don't, they don't know their sheep. They're not aware of their souls. They may know names, but they don't know what's going on. They don't understand the temptations. They're not aware of the struggles and the hardships, the fears. The places where their hearts and their hands are constantly clinging to something of this world. So that the shepherd may say, give it to me. Let me hold it. So that you do not have to bear that anymore. You see, Ezekiel, as, as Don read for us earlier, Ezekiel tells us of those prophets, even back in Ezekiel's day, that were wicked. They thought more of an opportunity to fleece the sheep than to shepherd them. They wanted to use them for what they could give them and not lean in and serve and love and sacrifice for them. Ezekiel 34 says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. And so this is not just to the people of God, but say this to the shepherds. And I want, I want to read this because I want you to listen for what is it that a shepherd is supposed to do? What, what is it that a shepherd's called to do? We can see that in many of the prophets, the prophets didn't speak only against the people, but often he spoke against the, the leaders and the shepherds uniquely first. Because as the shepherds go, so go the people. And so in Ezekiel 34, it goes on and it says, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves more concerned with yourselves than with your sheep should not shepherds feed the sheep you eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool you slaughter the fat ones 
but you do not feed the sheep. Do you see what he's saying here? He's saying, you're using all of their resources, but you're refusing to serve them any at all. The weak, the weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. And this is the consequence of all of this harshness, of all this difficulty. What's the consequence of this? It may surprise you. It says in Ezekiel chapter 34, the consequence of all of this bad shepherding is this, so they are scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. Did you know that one of the primary responsibilities that shepherds have is to gather God's people so that they can feed on God's word? And that when you are scattered or not with us or with those, those, those family members and loved ones and all those people you know that call themselves Christians but never come to church, they are, being, they are vulnerable to these wild beasts. They're scattered. They're not brought together. They're in a very dangerous and vulnerable place. They do not have shepherds that will call them out or ask them, where were you on Sunday? My sheep were scattered, Ezekiel says. The Lord says through Ezekiel. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains. That's pretty dangerous places. And on every high hill, another dangerous place. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth. And here's the tragedy in Ezekiel 34, 6. And none to search or to seek for them. In other words, they went wandering and nobody asked about them. Now, I would be willing to wager that most of us, maybe some of us, but most of us have never been around sheep, like real sheep. Um, but if you, if you have, uh, and if you're familiar with that, you realize that sheep are not smart. They're constantly getting into trouble, finding their way into all kinds of damage. There's all kinds of difficulties and struggles that are there. But even though we have never been around sheep, we're not as familiar with that, I think we can see from looking at these passages what a shepherd is to do, Psalm 23, and how a shepherd is not to act, Ezekiel 34. And to know a good shepherd means that a good shepherd isn't one that's going to consume. A good shepherd's not one that's simply going to leave their sheep helpless or even exposed. But instead, a good shepherd is going to care for the sheep equip them, defend against any harm that they may be going towards, even rebuke them and say hard things about what needs to happen. Shepherds do this because they love people. They love their people. Four things shepherds are to do, according to Ezekiel 34. Four things. First, a shepherd is to nourish the sheep with food and water. A shepherd is to nourish God's people with the word of God, with the Lord's table, baptism, with prayer. We're to be nourishing God's people regularly. That is our primary work, the ministry of the word and prayer. A shepherd is to nourish the sheep. Second, a shepherd is to gather the flock. If you read through your Old Testament, all of the Old Testament prophets say it. You can look as you read through. Hopefully you'll be reading through shortly. Read through any Old Testament prophet. Notice where it's being spoken of where God's people are being scattered. It's a curse to them. 
Being scattered is a curse. Being gathered is a blessing. And this is why we as elders specifically, uh, we keep attendance on Sunday morning. Um, and we follow up. We're not simply trying to track people down because we don't have anything better to do. We are responsible for those that God has called to be under our leadership and shepherding. So gathering God's people is of utmost report importance. We're called to be faithful. We don't want to be of those that no one has searched you out or sought after you. So first, nourishing. Second, gathering. Third thing that a shepherd does is leading. Leading them to areas most helpful for their care. Encouraging a congregation to be here on Lord's Day. Don't listen to me if I'm calling you to do something that's unbiblical. But if I'm asking you to do something that's biblical, I'm doing that for your soul's sake, not for my sake. This is a dangerous world. There's a raging lion out there, as we'll see later. And my desire is to see you make it. You're far more vulnerable than you think you are. And it's not just because I'm saying it. It's because the world and the enemy wants your soul. I fear more then you care to keep it. So our responsibility is to lead in areas that are most helpful for you. Nourishing, gathering, leading. Fourthly and finally, a shepherd is to provide healing for the cuts and bruises and accidents that happen along the way. We're to apply the salve of the gospel And remind you again and again that the grace of Jesus Christ is greater than any sin you've ever committed. And his grace will sustain you, sustain you even to the end. Now, I don't want you to be so focused, even though we should look there carefully and specifically at this metaphor of shepherd. Don't be so focused that you forget that what it says here in our passage, it says shepherd the flock, what? Of God. Of God. So, The church is not just any flock. It is the flock of God. It is the Lord's people. This is not to be taken lightly. And pastors are to be faithful, careful, to understand that we are holding something that is a treasure to God himself. In Acts chapter 20, this is near the end of Acts. Acts chapter 20, Paul is heading to Jerusalem. Everyone knows that when Paul gets to Jerusalem, they're going to kill him. That's why they're asking him to go. And he's choosing to go because he says, I can preach the gospel when I get there. And they said, yes, but you're going to die when you get there. They're wanting to kill you. And he says, I must go to Jerusalem. He stops by one of his favorite congregations in the city of Ephesus. And while he's there in that city of Ephesus, he's encouraging the congregation there. But then he takes aside the elders specifically, the shepherds. And they're weeping, it says in the book of Acts. They're weeping and they're actually clinging to him, saying, please don't go to Jerusalem. We love you. We don't want you to leave. We want you to continue to minister to us. And their hearts are aching. And Paul, with that that surrounding and context, Paul calls them to not shrink from their calling. He says, "Be, be men. Stop being weak here. This is what we're called to. He says, I don't want you to shrink away from your calling or abandon your post. Don't let these hardships 
grieve your heart so much that God's people think that they are only to grieve. Paul says in Acts chapter 20, he's speaking specifically to the elders there in Ephesus. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Listen to why. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. In other words, it wasn't you that made you overseers. The Holy Spirit made you overseers. To care for, listen, the church of God. Why is that important? Which he obtained with his own blood. That's how important the church is. That's how important the church should be to us. That's the value that the church should have in our minds, in our hearts. This is the value that is to be given to the church. Paul goes on and says to these elders, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that your three years that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Do you think it's, it's any less dangerous today than it was then? Do you think there's any more urgent of a plea now than there was then? When you leave this place today and you go into your week, are there, are there still the same fierce wolves that are out there wanting to catechize and disciple you in the ways of the world and the thinking of the world instead of in the Word of God? Our confession speaks of this work of being a pastor, and it says it and it speaks of it directly. That's why I want to quote it, because it speaks of directly in connection to Christ. And it gives this frightful warning that I want you to notice. This is chapter 26 of our confession. Again, paragraph 10. The work of pastors being constantly to attend the service of Christ. Do you see what's happening here? We're serving Christ. That is, his churches. In the ministry of the word and prayer, with watching for their souls. With watching for their souls. As they that must give an account to him, to God. We do it as those who will give an account to him. Now, I remember preaching this years ago, this passage, and this, this phrase wasn't necessary. But this phrase is absolutely necessary today. And it is here in our passage where it says, Shepherd, the flock of God, here's the phrase, that is among you. This phrase is used to show the elders that they do not have charge over any and every flock out there or over any and every congregation out there, but their charge is to shepherd the congregation that the Lord has given to them. Instead, the elders that Peter was encouraging was he was encouraging them to shepherd or to labor among the flock that was among them, that was in their midst. The affection and love for one's flock that has been given to him can find no other rival, no other congregation. For the masses that are out there beyond the covenant community is not your congregation. This is a real problem today. So many preachers 
and pastors that are out there today want to be teachers and speakers to the masses. And sadly, too many are so busy posting their new podcast or promoting their new YouTube interview that these men are not careful to shepherd the flock of God that is among them. They don't know the souls of their people, their struggles, their temptations, their hearts, desires, or their fears. We need to spend more time as elders in prayer for the congregation, not less. We need to spend more time in this celebrity generation pouring our hearts over God's word, drawing from the truth of God's word, that our hearts are so blazing with God's presence that when we stand in this pulpit, we say, Thus saith the Lord, and we know it's a word from God. Or when we sit at your kitchen table, we have wisdom that's grounded in the fear of God instead of some social media feed I've looked at in the past. And when you speak to pastors about this, it doesn't turn out well, just so you know. Actually, it never turns out well. All three times I tried that. It doesn't turn out well. It's not that they want to abandon their post. It's just that they think that responsibility is the Sunday school teachers. Or to this person, or to that person, or to these people, or to those people. But you're the elder. You're the pastor. You're the one that has the qualifications that God said is needed for you to be shepherding God's people. Don't abandon your posts. When we cry out to God in our prayer meetings for one another, we need to know your name and your children's name. And if you're pregnant, the name of the baby that you're going to have. And so many of you, I know your mom's and dad's names. Some of your grandparents' names. Because we're here to, 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 to bring your soul to Christ. I'm not here to shepherd the world, and we as elders should not be. The Lord has called me to shepherd Ivera, Robert, Kevin, and Jenna, Karen, and Marla, Dan, Keisha, Scott, Rashad, Logan. Angelina, so many more. Those names are names that I bring before the throne of God regularly, asking the Lord to grant His grace and to build you up. So let me turn this truth around and encourage you just a bit with this same truth. And you have heard this before, but hopefully you'll hear it again and the Lord will grant grace. If we're to be careful to shepherd this flock of God that is among us, then would you be careful to prioritize and to prefer and to receive our labors above all of those that you can get in the world around you? Don't allow all the other stuff that you listen to or watch or read online disciple and catechize your hearts and souls more than the, the, what the Lord has divinely and providentially provided for you and the regular preaching of God from these stumbling preachers that you have before you and this congregation that the Lord has placed around you. You're not in church just so you can know more about doctrinal theological issues. You're in this church so that you can love and serve and sacrifice and care for one another and point each other to Christ. This is why I'm not all that excited about parachurch organizations that have 
not been given the call to do what God's church has been given a call to do. I would encourage you to prefer the elders and the deacons that the Lord has given to you. Prefer the congregation that's sitting around you instead of allowing your heart to be drawn to all kinds of other things and finding more comfort and resolution and instruction from other places. I'm becoming more and more convinced of the need for this, and let me just step into this hole for a minute. Um, with, if, you, if, you, if you don't realize how invasive and trapped we are in the world's instructing us, my encouragement to you is this. Take your phone. Don't throw it in the ocean. That would be the great thing, but I'm not going to say that. Take your phone this week. And for, and for a day or two, choose to not bring it out or to put it away when you're in the car, when you're in the dinner, dining room table, or when you're in your bedroom. Just put it away. How many, how many marriages have been destroyed because though the husband and wife is sitting beside each other in the car, they're actually never talking. They go to dinner, but they never interact. In other words... The person that's preferred isn't the husband or the wife. It's the phone that they're looking at. And then they wonder why their love has grown so far away. It's because you're preferring someone other than who is with you. My encouragement is this. Prefer the people that are with you. And what I mean by that is in here, these knuckleheads, all of us, that sin and struggle and, and try to get our lives together but stumble and fall and we need each other, Prefer the people that God's got around you. Prefer the elders, though we, we, we don't have thousands of people following us on something. I don't even know what those things are anymore. But, but we don't have that. We, we don't have the, the popularity. Or, but but these are, this is who you have. This is who God sovereignly has given to you. These elders, these deacons, this congregation. What we are saying is that this congregation, loving, serving these people sitting around you, and these elders and deacons, though we don't have thousands of people following us on social media, are in God's wisdom those very people that God has chosen to use to nourish and to sustain your faith for the dangerous days ahead. Not all of that other stuff. The author of Hebrews says it clearly. Listen, if you will. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this. Obey your leaders. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? That's, that's, a, that's a hard call, isn't it? It's hard for a pastor to read it other than the fact that the Word of God says it. So that's what it is. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I'm going to have to give an account. The elders that are called here, the deacons that are called here, we're going to have to give an account for your soul. Don't hide it from us. Don't, don't make it hard. Passage goes on in Hebrews 13, 17. It says, let them, meaning your elders and deacons, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For what would be, for, excuse me, for that would be of no advantage to you. A, eight, a 19th century Scottish pastor by the name of John Brown. He was an old sage of his day. Puritan. His name was John Brown, who's a pastor. 
He was talking to a younger pastor and preacher um, that had a very small congregation. And John Brown was the older pastor there, and he was talking to this young guy, and he had a very small, the young guy had a small congregation, and, and they were just mentioning different things. And John Brown says this to the young pastor. I know the vanity of your heart, that you feel mortified that your congregation is very small in comparison with those of your brethren around you. But assure yourself on the word of an old man that when you come to give an account for them to the Lord Jesus Christ at his judgment seat, you will think you have had enough. The shepherd is to shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight not, not to exercise oversight, we are to not be the CEO of this company called the church. We're to exercise oversight, not be a life coach for you. We're to exercise oversight, not be the medical doctor that can tell you whether you should keep on your meds or not. We're to exercise oversight, not to be a therapist, or even what I think so often, even in our world today, there's, there's biblical counselors, but you do realize that when we, when we say the word counselor, are, do, do, you, do you actually think you actually have a biblical understanding of what counselor is? Or do you think maybe that word counselor is actually more informed by the world and less informed by the scriptures? Likely, likely the world. <laughs> so I don't even like the word counselor anymore because most people mean something very unbiblical by it. We're overseers, not therapists or counselors. We're overseers, not political advisors. We're overseers, not event planners. We're overseers, not computer technicians or communication experts. We're overseers, not financial consultants. We're overseers, not motivational speakers. We're overseers, not, and I was told to put this in, I have no idea what this is, we're not influencers. (laughs) Do y'all know what that is? Whatever that is, I'm not that. Why are we to live devoted lives? Why are we to have shepherds that do this hard work? Why are we to do this before God who's called us? Why is this so important? It's because the stakes are very high. Your souls and the souls of your children are at stake. I want to see you and your family love and fear God. We live in a world with devils filled. Shepherds are required. I want to close with this story. I'm going to try to make it through. I rarely do, though. Pilgrim's Progress, near the end of the first book, which is the Pilgrim's Progress, Christian and Hopeful are coming to the end of their road. I'm going to read to you some of the last lines of this book, Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read it, you need to. It's an allegory. Christian is one of the characters and Hopeful is the other character. And they are coming to the end of the road. We're coming to the end of the story. Christian then and his companion, that's Hopeful, ask the men, those are two angels that decided to join them on the last steps of their journey. Ask the men to go along with them. This is the reason why is because Christian and Hopeful both are fearful. They're coming to the end and they don't know what to expect. So they asked the men to go along with them. So they told them, that they would. But these men said to them, you must obtain this by your own faith. 
can't do it for you. It's got to be your own faith. I can only take you so far. John Bunyan goes on in his Pilgrim's Progress and he says, And I saw in my dream that they went on together till they came in the sight of the gate. There's the gate to get into heaven. But now I saw, now I further saw that betwixt, that's between Old English, betwixt them and the gate was a river. So there's the gate. They see it. It's the gate to get into heaven. But there's a river between them and the gate. The river is representing death. But there was no bridge to go over, and the river was very deep. There's, there's no bridges in the Bible, by the way. Think about that. You, you can't go around it. You've got to go through it. But there was no bridge to go over, and the river was very deep. At the sight, therefore, of this river, the pilgrims were much stunned. But the men that went with them said, You must go through, or you cannot come at the gate. In other words, there's not another way. The pilgrims then began to inquire if there was no other way to the gate. Isn't there another way? Any other way? To which they answered, yes, but there hath not any save two, to wit Enoch and Elijah, been permitted to tread that path since the foundation of the world. In other words, there's only two who approached the gate without death. That was Enoch and Elijah. The pilgrims then, especially Christian, began to despond. That means he was becoming, becoming anxious in his mind. And looked this way and that, but no way could be found by them by which they might escape the river. Then they asked the men if the waters were all of, deep, of, of, of the same depth. And this is what they said. This is what the angel said. He said, is, is all the water the same depth? And they said... No, yet they could not help them in that case. In other words, they couldn't tell them where the water was deep or, 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 or shallow. For, said they, this is what they said, you shall find it deeper or shallower as your faith is. Hmm. Then they addressed themselves to the water, and they entered in. Christian began to sink, crying out to his good friend, Hopeful. He said, I sink, brother, I sink. The water is deep here. The bellows are going over my head. And all the waves are going to consume me. Then Hopeful said, Be of good cheer, brother. Grab my hand. I feel the bottom here, and it's good. I hate it when I do this. I don't, I don't want to do this. He says, I feel the bottom here, and it's good. You see, brothers and sisters, we need a shepherd. We need somebody that's going to take us to that day. I pray that you will be there when I'm crossing that river. I pray that I'll be there when you do we can help one another along when your faith is weak we can be like hopeful say dear brother grab my hand the bottom is sure here our responsibility our responsibility is to be faithful 
for precious souls are at stake. Men and women, boys and girls, the saints of Sovereign Grace Baptist Church and none other is where our post is. It's where we're called. Dangers of this life are all over. Constantly insisting that you can live for this world and for Jesus and everything will be fine. And you know down in the deep depths of your heart that that will not do the day that you step into the river. The celestial city will require that we cross that river. That we go into death and we taste it finally. But be of good cheer, brother. For when you taste of that thing called death, faith will fall away and sight will come. And you will be in the presence of none other than your chief and good shepherd forevermore, receiving the unfading crown of glory. And to that, God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let us pray.